if you guys would like to stand with us and join us as we sing phrases to our God and to our King, once again, as always, you can find the lyrics over there physically on the sheets, or you can find them online at civalhambra.com forward slash Sunday. Well, let's, uh, let's get to it. Let's praise him. Heaven thundered and the world was born. Life begins and ends in the dust you form. Faith commanded and the mountains moved. Fear is losing ground to our hope. God, and let your glory go on and on. Impossible things in your name, they shall be done. Freedom conquered, all our chains undone. Sin defeated, Jesus has overcome. Mercy triumphed. The third day dawn. Darkness wasn't night when the storm was gone. Unstoppable, unstoppable God, let your glory go on and on. Impossible things in your name they shall be done. Unstoppable God, let your glory go on and on. Things in your name, they shall be done. You believe this morning, see nothing shall be impossible. Nothing shall be impossible. Your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll sh- Shout your praise forevermore, Jesus our God unstoppable, nothing shall be impossible, as your kingdom reigns unstoppable, we'll shout your praise forevermore, Jesus our God unstoppable, nothing shall be impossible, as your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore, Jesus our God unstoppable. Nothing shall be impossible, as your kingdom reigns unstoppable. We'll shout your praise forevermore, Jesus our God unstoppable. God, let your glory go on and on. 
Again, if you're just joining us, you can find the lyrics online at civalhamra.com forward slash Sunday. Um, and this is a new song we're going to be singing. It's called Isn't He. And the song, the purpose of this is really to fix your eyes, fix our eyes upon the majesty and the glory of Jesus. Um, so if you guys would like to sing the song out loud or if you guys want to listen to it um, and meditate on it, you guys are welcome to. Dorothy's going to lead us in this one.
so good and worthy of praise God and you're amazing you're our Jesus you're my Jesus um, I just pray Lord that you speak through Adam and touches uh, words um, with wisdom with the Holy Spirit God I thank you so much for today and I pray all this in Jesus name amen I'm gonna welcome up Chris for some announcements Hi, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Church in the Valley. Uh, wherever you're joining us today, whether it's here or at home, uh, we're glad to have you with us. Uh, my name is Chris Hines. I am one of the um, KidZone teachers. Uh, we're obviously not doing KidZone right now, but we do have some uh, sheets of activities over there for the kids to do. So if your kids need something, you can go ahead and grab one of those and some crayons. Um, I'm also one of the leaders of one of the community groups that we have here at Church in the Valley. To find our song lyrics, our listening guide, and our connection card, you can go to civalhambra.com slash Sunday. All of that information will be there for you to use as you need. There's also a few paper copies of those as well over where those kids' activities are. Uh, so if you want to grab some paper and, and write things down, that's fine too. As a reminder, we aren't going to be passing around offering buckets anymore, but you're welcome to give online or to drop your offering in the bucket on your way out today. If you are a guest this morning, if this is your first time at CIV, uh, we have a book called How Good is Good Enough. Uh, please grab one of those at the guest resource table as well. And we want to make sure that you're aware that summer interest groups are still going on. They're underway. It's not too late to join. 
uh, participate in that a little bit. They've got movie clubs, video game clubs, uh, board game clubs, a lot of different things you can enjoy uh, throughout the summer with some of the folks around the church. Once again, we're glad that you're here with us today. Uh, let's go ahead and pray quickly, and then we'll welcome Adam up to continue his message series. Father God, uh, just thank you for the wonderful morning that we have uh, to be outside, this wonderful space that we have to worship in uh, and to just bring you the glory that you deserve. Uh, we pray that you would open up our hearts so that we can listen to today's message. We pray for those uh, that are here. We pray for those that are home. Uh, we just pray that you would continue to have your hand over each and every one of us uh, as we go through this interesting season, Father God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Adam, thank you. Thank you, Chris, and thank you, Victor, for leading us in worship this morning. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you, and thanks for being here at Church in the Valley. Let me add my word of welcome. And uh, we're really getting into summer, aren't we? It's, it's heating up. But uh, we are really happy to have this space, and we thank God for the opportunity to gather for worship. Uh, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 75. Go ahead and turn to Psalm 75. And as you're turning there, take note of the fact that next week we're going to be in Psalm 84. So if you're kind of reading ahead and thinking about the coming week's psalm, uh, hopefully that's been helpful for some of you. Next week we'll be in Psalm 84. And uh, it is, as they all have been, just an encouraging, challenging section of Scripture. But this morning we're in Psalm 75, and I'll open it, and then I will read, and then uh, pray for us, and we will get going. Psalm 75. Follow along with me as I read God's Word. To the choir master, according to do not destroy a psalm of Asaph, a song. Verse 1, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you that we have the privilege of being in your presence because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We boast in him, we want to glorify him, and Father, we do this to your glory by the power of your spirit. God, we ask your forgiveness. All of us have sinned this week, all of us have failed and fallen short, and as we come to your word, we need to ask that your 
that the blood of Christ would cleanse us from unrighteousness. We confess our sin. We don't hide it from you, God. We pray that you would give us a, a sense of the forgiveness that is freely ours in Christ by faith alone. And God, this morning, I pray that you would minister to us in our discouragement and challenge us in areas where we need to be challenged. Lord, and we pray that you would do that not only for us as individuals, but as couples and as families and as community. Lord, would you shape us to be more like Jesus? Father, we want to pray for churches that are dealing with the smoke this morning. Many of them are unable to meet. We pray that you would minister to them. Father, we pray for churches around the world that are dealing with this pandemic. We pray that you would provide for them and encourage them. God, would you just take the gospel in places it's never been because of what's going on in the world? Would you cause people to come to Christ who otherwise would not? Would you, would you plant churches where there aren't churches? And would you bring revival and conviction here and around the globe for your glory? God, we know that you don't waste anything and we trust that you won't waste the challenges that are being faced right now, but you'll use it for your glory. That's our confidence. We trust you. We find hope in you. And I pray that if there's anyone here today that does not know you, that they would leave here today knowing you as their Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I I hope that you're able to access the sermon notes on the website using the app. Um, The title of the sermon is Everything Wrong Made Right. Everything Wrong Made Right. And to begin, I want to ask you, a question, have you ever come to love something that you never thought you would love, you never even thought you'd like it? Have you ever come to love something that you didn't think you'd even like? Maybe it's a place, didn't used to like it, now you love it. Maybe it's a person, didn't even used to like that person, now you love the person. Maybe it's a food you used to hate and now you love. Have you ever had that experience? That's kind of a weird thing in life that happens. As I think about this idea of loving something you didn't used to like, I think of, in my own life, camping. I didn't grow up camping. I didn't like the idea of camping, leaving my home to go sleep on the ground. That just never made any sense to me. I was not raised to camp. And then somewhere along the line, I was exposed to camping. And next thing you know, I love it. And I'm like buying stuff to go do it. And I look forward to the discomfort. And I look forward to the challenge of You know, everything about camping to me is just fun now. I love it. I didn't even used to like it. Well, some people don't like, let alone love, the idea that God is a judge or the idea that God executes judgment or brings justice. But what I hope you'll see in this passage is that the justice of God, the judgment of God is something that initially we don't even like, but as Christians, we actually come to love. I hope that makes sense. God's justice, God's judgment, something we didn't even used to like, and as Christians, we come to love. The theme of this psalm, you get it, it's justice. In Psalm 1 and 2, we saw that Jesus is the righteous one. In Psalm 23, we saw that Jesus is the shepherd king. In Psalm 42, we saw that in spiritual depression, we can hope in God. In Psalm 47, we saw that Jesus is the king of the earth. And in Psalm 75, we see that the righteous shepherd king will judge the earth. 
and will bring justice. One of the interesting things about this psalm and the topic justice is this is a sort of timely psalm for us this morning because justice is something we're hearing a lot about. It's something that a lot of us think about, but it's sort of notoriously difficult to define. And if, and if you question how hard it can be to define justice, go read like Plato's Republic or John Rawls' Theory of Justice. I mean, many, many books have been written debating what even just the definition of justice is. We all want justice in the sense that there's something wrong that needs to be made right. Um, but it's hard to define justice. We can't agree about the definition of justice. And part of that has to do with we can't agree about what's, what, what is real, and we don't agree often on what's at the center of things. And if you don't agree about what's real, and if you don't agree about what's the center of things, then you're never going to agree about what justice is. And so sort of right now we're seeing those fundamental cracks in our society. What is wrong with the world and what can be done to fix it? And Psalm 75 is about justice. And what we see is that justice makes sense when God is at the center. And that's really the big idea of this text. God is at the center and everything wrong will be made right. That is sort of the big idea. If you, if you leave here today, somebody says, what was the message about? Say, well, God is going to make everything wrong right. And the good news is that there is a judge, and the judge has authority, and he's going to right everything that's wrong. God's justice is total. There will be an end to all evil. There was an essay written back in the late 80s, right before the Berlin Wall fell. A guy named Francis Fukuyama wrote an essay called The End of History. And his essay is famous, and it's basically about the fact that the world is going to be sort of in agreement about democracy. But the, the thing is, it didn't really come true. I mean, we've seen the rise of things like ISIS, and we've seen democracy decline in places so that actually didn't come true. But what our text is showing us is that it will come to pass that there will be an end to evil. Everything wrong will be made right. That's the hope of the passage. Now, what we're going to do in this sermon is we're going to sort of look at four things. Number one, this is in your notes. So hopefully you're able to access this. Number one, why do we need justice? Number two, who can bring justice? Number three, how does God make everything right? How does God bring about justice? And number four, what should our response be to God's judgment, to God's justice? So why do we need it? Who can bring it? How will he do it? And what is our response? That's going to be what we're looking at. Well, first of all, why do we need justice? I mean, if somebody were to ask you what's wrong with the world, how would you answer that question? This psalm sort of gets at it, I think, really well. Psalm 75, if you look, uh, if you look here, it makes it clear. Verse 4, I say to the boastful, do not boast. To the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Verse 4 talks about horn. Verse 5, do not lift up your horn. Verse 10, all the horns of the wicked. A lot of talk about horns in this psalm. And you might be thinking, What's up with all the 
references to horns. Well, horns in the Bible symbolize rebellion. Horns in the Bible symbolize rebellion. You see this in Daniel 7, when Daniel describes a beast and the beast has 10 horns. So the beast is sort of like in rebellion against God. You see the same thing in Revelation 13, where the, bird, where the beast has horns and so evil and rebellion and rejection of God and God's will and God's ways is symbolized in the Bible by horns. And so the psalmist is saying people rebel against God in verse five. And, and, the Bible, and, and Psalm 75 here is saying in verse 10, all the horns of the wicked will be cut off. So the problem of rebellion against God is pervasive. It's the reason we need justice. This passage shows us our need for justice. The problem is evil. The problem is sin. People break God's commands. They don't act according to God's character. And so in this world of evil, we want justice and we want bad things to be made right. This is why we like stories where the bad guy sort of gets his due, right? You love a story where the bad guy in the end gets caught, gets punished, and you leave the theater thinking that was a good movie. But if the bad guy gets away, you sort of leave with this unsettled feeling because things have not reached a point of justice. Now, here's the problem. I trust that everything I've said sort of makes sense, but here is the problem. The problem is that in regards to justice, we tend to see other people's sin and not our own. I need you to understand the problem. We see other people's sin, but not our own. We're bothered by other people's shortcomings, but we excuse our own shortcomings. We want other people's deeds to be exposed, but we want ours to remain hidden. And we have elaborate strategies for hiding our sin so that we're not found out. And and the way this usually works is as sinners, we tend to divide the world up into good and bad categories in such a way that we get to see ourselves as being in the good category and other people are in the bad category. Interesting experiment this week, ask somebody what's wrong with the world. And usually there's a bad guys category. And usually the person you're talking to doesn't see themselves in that category. They see the problem as being someone else, some category of people that, to which they do not belong. And there's a word for this, and the word is hypocrisy. And we're all in the club. Like Adam and Eve, we're full of excuses and we're always looking for fig leaves to hide behind. But the good news is that Jesus loves us too much to let us get away with that. He loves us too much for us to remain hidden. And when Jesus was on the earth during his earthly ministry, Jesus was always confronting sins, but not just sins in the abstract, sins in particular, not just sins in theory, but the specific sins of the person he's talking to. It is always easy to point out sin in the abstract, and it is always hard to point out sins in particular that we struggle with. 
And Jesus didn't just do this to religious leaders, by the way. Sometimes we think, you know, Jesus was just against the religious leaders. Jesus was sort of an equal opportunity confronter of the particular sins of the person he was talking to. So when he's talking to the woman at the well, it's adultery. When he's talking to the rich young ruler, it's greed. And so when we read the Bible, if we're reading it biblically, if we're reading it in a way Jesus would want it to be, we're, we're seeing our sins. We're feeling the conviction of our sins. We, we want to hide our sins, but Jesus loves us too much. He exposes our sins. And the reason he does this, don't miss this, he, he does this so that we can experience the joy and the freedom of repentance and forgiveness. So something is wrong with the world and the, what's wrong is sin, but not sin in general or not just other people's sins, but my sin my sin and my failure to reflect God's character. And let me ask you this question. Have you had an Isaiah 6, 1 moment? In Isaiah, Isaiah says, woe is me for I am undone. Have you had a moment in your life where you didn't just say, woe is the world or woe are those people or woe is that system or that structure? But have you had a moment where on your knees you cry out, woe is me? for I am undone. Where you say, like Paul, I fall short of the glory of God. If you want to know where to start in your relationship with God, that's where you start. You start with confession. God, I'm a sinner. I've sinned and I fall short. So this psalm shows us that sin is the great problem, but sin is deeply personal. It is social, but it is first personal. And until we reckon with the personal nature of sin, we'll never solve anything else. So why do we need justice? Because we are sinners. Number two, who can bring justice? Well, let's look back at the psalm. We see in the psalm that there is a great judge. There is a great judge. You look in verse two, at the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. That's in quotations, that's God saying that in verse three, when the earth totters and all of its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. So even when everything is wrong in the earth, have you guys had that point in 2020 where you go, man, everything is going wrong. Well, God remains unchanged. God's justice remains unaffected. God is just as steady and just as sure as he has ever been. God hasn't changed. Verse four, I, God says to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. So it's God that's reminding us of what is right and what is wrong. And verse seven, it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. It is God who executes judgment. So is there a problem? Yes. What's the problem? Sin. Is there the hope of justice? Yes. And where does that hope come from? It doesn't come from the government. It doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from education. It doesn't come from the arts. Those are all good. But the hope of justice is God because it is God who executes justice. It is God who executes judgment. And this is important because a lot of people are looking for justice to come from all the wrong places. And human institutions have a role to play, but ultimately, Justice comes ultimately from the kingdom of God, not from the earth, but from the kingdom of heaven. 
Back in the late 80s, there was a song by Belinda Carlisle called Heaven is a Place on Earth. Maybe some of you know that song. But that's not true. Heaven isn't a place on earth. God is going to bring a new heaven and a new earth, and there will be perfect peace and perfect justice. But this earth is not heaven, and neither is it hell. Only God can bring justice. Our text makes it clear. God is the hope for justice because he is the judge. Now, when you think of judge, when you think of a judge, I mean, what comes to mind? If you just imagine a judge in your mind right now, you're probably like me thinking of like Judge Wapner or Judge Judy or someone in a black robe who's banging a gavel, like one of the television judges. But in the Bible, a judge was a ruler. And so when, when, when the psalm talks about God being a judge, the psalm is inviting us to consider the fact that God is the ruler. He's the king. He's the judge. He has all authority. And, and the good news here is that God hasn't lost an ounce of his authority. He's still holding things as they should be. He is still executing his will. It is still his power that holds all things together. He is powerful, he is good, and he is in charge. And this means that God is a different kind of judge. He's a different kind of judge. Now think about this for a moment. Human judges enforce rules they don't create, right? That's the sort of legal system that we are used to. Human judges enforce rules they don't create. Um, You know, sometimes if you're watching like a TV drama, the judge will even say, you know, I don't even like this, but this is the law. But you don't get that with God. He's a different kind of judge. God is not enforcing laws that someone else made. God isn't enforcing laws that have just sort of been floating out in the cosmos. God is enforcing laws that are based on his character. This is so important. God is enforcing laws that are based on his character. Rebellion against God's moral laws is rebellion against God. You can't be cool with God and just live in rebellion against his moral laws because his character is the basis of those moral laws. They are expressions of his character. And this is the biblical vision of justice. Justice in the Bible is vindication of God's character and God's glory. God's character and God's glory. So God's character is sort of woven into the fabric of existence. Every one of us has sort of a moral sense. And the reason you have a moral sense is because you're created by a a God and God's character establishes in you a sense of right and wrong. And even if you reject God's moral order, we're constantly violating even the own codes we establish for our own life. How many times have you said, you know, I'm not going to eat after eight o'clock at night. That's my rule. And then what do you do? You know, it's nine o'clock and you're eating a bowl of ice cream, right? We can't keep God's moral order. We can't even keep the sort of laws we make for ourselves. And this has led people like C.S. Lewis to make moral arguments for God's existence. The fact that we live in a world with moral truth shows that we come from a God whose character establishes this moral order. So the reason we need justice is because we sin 
And the hope for justice is God, and we are made in his image. And if you believe in God, then the world of moral order makes sense. And if you throw God out, then we don't understand the world, we don't understand ourselves, and we're just kind of lost. God is the one who can bring justice. Now, the third question, how does he do it? So sin is the problem. God is the judge who brings justice but how does he do it? His justice is based on his character. And in the notes, I put a surprise ending. Don't you love a surprise ending? Don't you love a movie with a twist? Don't you love a book that at the end you close it and go, never saw that coming? Well, this psalm gives us sort of a glimpse into a never saw that coming kind of a moment. And it's in verse eight. Look at verse eight. For in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. And this is interesting because there's this metaphor of a cup. Notice it says in verse 8, the cup is in the hand of the Lord. It's not on the shelf. It's not sort of just up there in heaven. It's in his hand. So God is holding in his hand this cup, and it is well mixed. It's foaming with wine. It's sort of filled and he pours out from it. But kind of the idea is this is like, this is a cup that you can pour out from it, but it never runs out. It's just constantly renewed. This cup of well-mixed foaming wine in the hand of God. And the metaphor here is the metaphor for justice. And the idea is that sin is a violation of God's character. Sin is a personal offense to God. And because sin is a personal offense to God, God is storing up wrath for the day of judgment. He is storing up wrath. That's exactly what Paul says in Romans 2.5. It says that apart from Christ, we are storing up wrath for the day of judgment. Storing up wrath. God is holding a cup and in the cup is his wrath. Now you, you know and have heard about this cup. I, I write down a couple verses here, Matthew 20, 23, Jesus is with his disciples and the mother of the sons of Zebedee comes to her and she says, uh, he says, what do you want? And she says, these two sons of mine are going to sit at your right hand and at your left hand in the kingdom. Say that, Lord. She says, Lord, I have a request. Grant it that my sons can sit at your right and at your left positions of authority. And Jesus says to her, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. And then he says this, are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? So, so here she's asking sort of for a favor. We've all done this. Hey, could you do me a favor? And Jesus says, listen, you don't know what you're asking. You're not able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink. So Jesus references this Old Testament imagery of a cup and Jesus says, drinking this cup is something difficult. It's something hard. Because in the Old Testament, the cup had to do with God's wrath. In Matthew 26, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he falls on his face and he says, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass. So Jesus knows that on the cross, he's going to take the cup of God's wrath and he's going to drink it up. He's going to take on himself the wrath that God has been storing 
for anyone who will ever come to trust in him. And, and, and the thought of taking the cup of God's wrath in himself is a terrifying thought. And Jesus, even in his sinless humanity, is not looking forward to it. It is a, it is a terrifying thing to experience the wrath of God. Jesus is courageous. Jesus is bold. Jesus doesn't fear man, but Jesus fears God. And the thought of taking the cup that the psalmist talks about causes Jesus to fall and say, if it's possible, he falls on his face and says, if it's possible, if there's any other way, nevertheless, not my will, but thine. And so we see the New Testament talk about this cup, this cup of wrath. And in Revelation, we see the same thing. Revelation 14.10 references this cup as well. It says this, It says, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And so you have to understand that God has in his hand a cup of wrath And Jesus on the cross takes God's wrath that we deserve and he drinks it for us if we will receive him as our Lord and our savior. This is why when we take the communion, we take the cup and the cup of wrath in the blood of Christ has become the cup of blessing. And you can spend the rest of your life thinking about that glorious mystery. But here's the reality. Either Jesus has drank in the cup of God's wrath for you and you receive that by faith, or you will drink it for yourself on the day of judgment. That is what Psalm 75, and that is what Matthew 20 and 26, and Revelation 14, that is the picture that is painted. God's wrath is there, it is real, it's not a story, it's not a fairy tale, it's not there to scare you, it's a reality, and either you trust that Jesus has drank that cup for you, or you reject him and say, no, I'll drink it myself. Only Jesus can drink it and fill it up in righteousness, but we can't do that. And so our experience of God's wrath will either be filled in Christ's death or it will experience forever. So the surprise ending is that God's wrath is there, but God makes it right by taking the punishment for us. God comes to earth as a human, as a man, and he suffers God's wrath in our place so that by trusting in him, we can have eternal life. That is a surprise ending that no human would invent. That is one of the most glorious evidences of the divine nature of the Bible and the story of redemption that you can possibly point to. There is a need for justice because of sin. There is hope for justice because there's a judge. The judge takes the justice, the penalty for us if we'll trust in him. Well, lastly, number four, what should our response be to God's judgment? You remember I started out by saying that there's things in life you don't even like, but you come to love. As a Christian, early on in your walk with Christ, you might sort of not want to think much about God's judgment. You don't want to talk about it. Just shh, shh, don't talk about that. But that's not what you see in Psalm 75, is it? 
Look at Psalm 75. Look what it says in verse 1. We give thanks to you, God. We give thanks to you. Your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. In the context of God's judgment and his wrath and his justice, David doesn't say, shh. He says, no, let's thank God for this. And then notice what he says in verse 9. I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. So David says, God is a judge. God is just. He's going he's gonna to bring an end to evil. And he does that at the cross. And, and he's going to have eternal justice and eternal judgment. And this is glorious. And I'm going to thank God. And I'm going to declare it. And I'm going to praise God for it. And what this means is that God's justice is not about just the absence of what is wrong. It is the presence of what is right. God's justice isn't just about the absence of what's wrong. It's the presence of what is right. You see, before you became a Christian, you didn't want to hear anybody talk about God's justice. You didn't want to hear anybody talk about God's wrath. You didn't want to hear anything about heaven or hell. You didn't want to hear a sermon about the cup of wrath. But as a Christian, when you hear that Jesus took God's wrath for you, you delight in it. You want to sing about it. You want to shout praise. You want to tell other people that they can be forgiven. And so the glorious truth that God brings justice through the cross and through the empty grave isn't something we just come to like. It's something we come to love and we're going to spend eternity. I, don't ask me how, but we're going to spend eternity because it says it. We're going to declare it forever. We're going to have all of eternity to somehow be mindful of what Jesus saved us from and what Jesus has saved us for. So this means we don't shy away from God's justice. We thank God. We worship God. We proclaim it. This is part of loving God for who he is. Just as God is loving, he is just. And God's justice is loving and his love is just. So you can thank God and you should worship him and you could proclaim his justice. Listen, you, you are living in a world where people are talking about justice. And you have in this psalm, in this sermon, an opportunity to say, I care about justice. And the good news is there is a God who is righteous and we're made in his image and we've violated it. All of us have sort of grown a horn and God has wrath, but Jesus has taken that wrath for us. And if you'll just trust him, if you'll just believe in him, he will forgive you and cleanse you forever. And now the just God of the universe isn't someone you run from. He's someone you run to. He's not someone you hide from. He's someone you want to pursue. And people need to hear this message. But the question is, what is your response? What is your response? When you hear about this just God, this righteous God, this God with a cup who has a cup and drinks a cup, is your response to worship? Is your response to confess? Is your response to love? And is your response to want to fall on your face and worship Jesus? This is the response that this psalm is inviting us to. And in just a moment, as we sing, I pray that this psalm leads you to worship God in a new way, not because you ignore his justice, but because you've thought about it 
and because you've thought about his great love on display at the cross where Christ takes the cup for us. Let's pray. Jesus, we confess that it's uncomfortable to talk about wrath. No one wants to think about it, but but God, your word invites us in and your word is good. Every word is breathed out. It is profitable for correction, instruction, and reproof. And this morning, God, we need to be reminded in a lawless world that there is a just God. We need to be reminded our sins have been forgiven. We need to be reminded that you have taken our punishment. We need to be reminded that even in the worst day of our life, we have something to thank you for. We have something to praise you for and something to sing about and tell others about. God, I pray that you would help us not to cower from this truth, but to embrace it and to proclaim it. God, I pray that you would help us to be bold in telling others about your son, Jesus Christ, and about the justice that he paid to secure and the peace that we can enjoy with you because he paid for our sins. God, would you bring worship from this and obedience from this? Would you bring changes in our lives that need to be made because of this psalm? And I pray that you would do this all by the power of your spirit for the glory of your name, amen. time to think through this uh, message, uh, to reflect on it. So I invite you to bow your heads, to think about it, to pray over it, um, and to continue filling out your connection cards, write up some next steps, uh, just so you can let us know and we can be praying for that. Yeah. Let's fix our eyes on him today. Response that we worship you. 
sing the song in adoration and submission to him. You're the God of this city. You're the King of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. You are. You're the light in this darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. You are. There is no one like our God. Thank you, Lord. Come, greater things are still to be done in this. 
this song lead us in a response of worship in our lives and as we adore the beauty of your plan the wondrous mystery of the story that is our salvation in Christ Jesus that it would bring us delight and would bring us joy joy that is not contained in ourselves but that bursts out and flows into the lives of others we worship you trust that your judgment is good, that you are still in control, no matter what our circumstances, no matter what surrounds us. It's all because of this. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you guys for joining us today. We'll see you next week.